This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome everyone to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow and to start out, I would like to thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Care. Since its relaunch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member site has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all Napa programs, promotions, benefits, and other information available to help their businesses thrive. If you are a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal. Not a Napa Auto Care Center? Contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. So I think this episode, I'm going to kind of talk about the last few weeks at home, a little bit at the shop, just some thoughts about how I think we can take stuff from it and, and learn and just become even better at our jobs, run better businesses, provide better services, uh, stuff like that, be better employers. Really the last, we'll just say three weeks, uh, my wife, Danielle, who's uh, been on this, sh- this show a couple of times. We're usually discussing substance use disorder. She's a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. Really, for the last three weeks, she's been fighting what we thought was like a chest cold. And I mean, I'm going to give away the end a little bit here. It's knock on wood or so far. Nothing like that sad of a story. So I don't want to start out too ominous. We thought it was a chest cold. She went in. Uh, to the doctor, uh, urgent care, which is not, you know, depending on where you are in the country, I don't know if everyone has an urgent care, but usually it runs like from 4 p.m. to maybe 8 p.m. And it's not an emergency. So it's not technically the ER, uh, but it's definitely not like a scheduled setup. You don't make an uh, appointment for urgent care. It's something you can go to kind of after hours, but not get hit with the ER bill, if you will. And so she goes in and they diagnose her with asthmatic bronchitis. So she has, I will just say, I think a touch of asthma. It's hard to qualify it. She does have an inhaler, but she really doesn't need it that often, except maybe in the spring, maybe in the fall when there's maybe some uh, allergens out, pollens and ragweed, stuff like that. But really during the winter, summer months, it's pretty rare to see her using her inhaler or a nebulizer or anything like that. Yeah, they called it asthmatic bronchitis. So that's uh, why she was having a hard time uh, breathing. And by a hard time, I really just mean, you know, if she ran up some steps or something, she'd be dogging it at the end. And, you know, <laughs> this will sound like a shot. I'm not taking a shot at her. She's not like a world-class athlete and neither am I, but um, probably a little more, winded than she would have normally have been. And they give her uh, some meds for it. And, you know, for the rest of that week, she seems better. She feels better, but it kind of gets bad again. And she's coughing. When she coughs, it sounds like just rattling, you know, like there's a lot of fluid in her lungs, you know, or phlegm, loose phlegm. Can't seem to cough it up. Uh, So she tried the, uh, you know, expectorant type of uh, over-the-counter stuff like uh, Mucinex D, not trying to be a commercial for Mucinex, but I think it's got a pretty good reputation for accomplishing that. She's taken that, really just not getting better, not necessarily getting worse uh, until the end of that week. And then 
she was getting worse, like really struggling to breathe, really struggling to catch her breath. And one morning, you know, a couple weeks ago now, so this is all occurring about a week before vision. Uh, Some of you listening may have noticed I did not make it to vision. Do you want to thank people for reaching out and checking on me? Uh, There seemed to have been a short, small rumor that uh, I was gone because of some of the postings on Facebook, but knock on wood so far, I'm still here. She walks out of the bedroom in the morning and her lips are blue. I chalk it up for lighting a little bit, right? It's, it's dark. I just kind of woke up. She goes and uses the restroom, comes back out, and now there is no doubt her lips are blue. And by blue, I'm not talking about like a shade of blue, like, you know, pink, reddish with a shade of blue that they're, they are blue. That isn't trying to be dramatic in any way or exaggerate. It's just trying to press upon you that sometimes when they, you read about medical type situations where someone's lips are blue, they're really blue. She has an oximeter, you know, again, she's having trouble catching her breath. Like she's very winded from walking you know, 20 feet total, uh, you know, blue lips, which she thinks I'm kind of BSing her a little bit, but she checks her oxygen levels and they're in the seventies. So 70% range that is uh, well below really 93. Anything below 93 seems to be a cause of great concern she is in the seventies and by seventies I'm talking like 74. Uh, so I tell her like, we gotta go we're, 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 we gotta get you in this. This is not good. Yeah. Hypoxic, the not messing around. I'm not Googling anything. We're, we're in the car and we're off and, uh, take her into the ER. And when we tell, show them on the oximeter, which has now gone up, her lips aren't blue anymore, but now we're in even being relatively idle, she's in the low 80s, 83, 84, and uh, they don't mess around. You know, there's a waiting room, not full of people, but there's people there. Um, she gets in ahead of all of them. You know, of course, the vitals and all that verify her oxygen levels are quite low, and they get some oxygen on her. You know, this is like a week, really a week before vision, and I text Sherry what's going on. Just in case, like, you know what? I'd rather show up and get ribbed a little bit about blowing things out of proportion and you know, sounding in the alarms prematurely. I'd much rather have to deal with that than last minute calling or texting the vision team and saying, yeah, a thing happened. And of course that could happen regardless of anything happening a week before, you know, any kind of precursors. But if I kind of knew something, I wanted them to know it too and keep them posted and kind of work on a plan B. You know, the initial thought with her was uh, COVID, of course, but she checked negative. They, they test her negative for COVID. She was negative for COVID the week before when she went into urgent care. The new idea, I don't want to say a diagnosis, it was an idea, was a pulmonary embolism. So a blood clot or blood clots in her lung, lungs. And so to check that out, they got to do a CT scan. So they x-rayed her and then did a CT scan with contrast. That came back negative, 
negative for blood clots, which, you know, I guess is a good thing. Um, but in a way it kind of sucks because now we don't have a diagnosis. We don't, we don't know what's going on except that the CT shows she has something that they refer to as broken glass or ground glass, uh, in her lungs. And often this is attributed to COVID, but really it's something that they've seen before over the years, uh, with other issues, but with COVID, it became, uh, a much more common thing to see. And I don't know if using as a diagnostic tool is quite the right phrasing, but they kind of had blank stares and that's kind of scary, right? Because when they don't really know, she's, she's sitting there, she's on oxygen. Now she can breathe. Her O2 levels are coming up, but if she takes the oxygen off, they drop into the high 80s, and if she's idle, if she moves around, gets up and walks around, they tank. They tank into the high 70s, low 80s, and this happens over and over again. So there's something definitely going on, and they don't know. They don't know what's wrong. And I don't know about you guys, but my mind races to the bad stuff. Like, they do much more digging, and we'll find we'll find out what's wrong, and it's not going to be good. You know, kind of a shot from the hip. They mentioned RSV, but they, they didn't seem overly concerned about it. But they're going to test for it anyways. I think just really now grasping a little bit uh, for any kind of information to point them in a direction. The test that they do is, is a nasal swab, but it not only tests for RSV, it tests for influenza and COVID. So they do the test. Half an hour later, the nurse walks in. She has all PPE'd up. Hazmat suit would be a little exaggeration, but she's suited up. You have COVID. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of heard that she's tested negative twice for COVID and then finally tests positive. But they're quick to believe the positive test. And this isn't like a, a scoff of anything uh, about COVID or anything like that. Clearly, it was an issue, but I just found myself struggling with, wait a minute, we've had three tests, two-thirds of which were negative. We get a positive one. That's the one we jump on, even though I get it. It fits. It gives you guys a diagnosis. You can team it with the CT scan and uh, call it with what with what they ended up going with, COVID pneumonia. So she had pneumonia either caused by COVID or she had pneumonia first and then caught COVID. Not even trying to imply I know the sequence of events or even that they really knew. But, I'm, you know, it's like my BS meter was moving a little bit. Like, geez, would you retest just to make sure? They really didn't. The test ends up most likely valid because I was completely symptom-free other than maybe a, a runny nose, which I pretty much have, I think, you know, 50 weeks out of the year. One way or another, sinuses, something going on. I don't want to imply like I have allergies. I think I have a touch of allergy to a little bit of everything. So just my sinuses are usually always doing something, running, plugging up, infected, whatever. And it's been that way since I was a kid. It's not a big deal. Wasn't causing any issues. Uh, Tracy, in a couple of uh, episodes but before this one and the last one had commented like, hey, you coming down with something? You sound a little raspy or uh, whatnot. It's like not as far as I know, short of you know 
maybe some post nasal drip, something like that. I feel fine. No issue. But after her test, I tested uh, just because I come positive. I tested positive for COVID. So then I'm thinking, great, you know, she's uh, in the ER and soon to be admitted into the hospital. And now I just tested positive for COVID. Now, did I test really early on and I have a really bad butt kicking coming along, uh, coming up with COVID? Or will it be like last time where I had very, very light symptoms, a little bit of a headache, a couple of uh, light fevers in the evenings uh, twice that were easily controlled with ibuprofen? What lies in store now? Like this could suck. Not because I'm going to get sick. Like that would suck. Don't get me wrong. And if I got COVID and I was sick, sick with COVID, then I'm for sure knocked out of vision. You know, just have been around people. You would feel bad, even though you have no reason to suspect you had it. And then to be super sick, potentially, while she's super sick in the hospital. I mean, that just, that didn't sound all that appealing to me. But luckily, I really had no symptoms the whole time zero symptoms for, I don't know, better part of five days. Uh, I would test positive, zero symptoms. And then I uh, started testing negative before I went back to work. She was admitted into the hospital on oxygen support and they were hitting her hard with antivirals, antibiotics, and steroids. The antivirals, of course, to go after the COVID, antibiotics to go after the pneumonia, and the uh, steroids to help reduce any kind of inflammation, give her a chance to heal up and, um, you know, be able to breathe uh, along with the oxygen, of course. Uh, So that's really two days of that. Uh, A lot of poking, prodding, a lot of blood uh, taken for analysis. No further up scans or anything like that, but a lot of rounds of the antivirals, a lot of rounds of the antibiotics. After a couple days, like she was ready to get out of there. And uh, I think they were hesitant to let her go, even though she really wasn't taking the oxygen anymore. They took her off oxygen. Uh, Antibiotics, they stopped administering the antibiotics. Uh, All of this via IV, by the way, if it matters. And then uh, they wanted to continue the course of antivirals. I'm guessing mainly because that's the course. So, you know, maybe I jumped the gun a little bit, but in the ER, the ER doctor had got a hold of a pulmonary specialist. So we we're going to a Mayo Clinic a hospital owned by the Mayo Clinic. And, you know, I, this isn't a dig on corporations, but that's what it is. It's, it's a corporation. It's a big business. Many medical facilities um, or almost franchises, right? That's what they are. Uh, I think there's probably very, very good things because of it and then potentially some bad stuff and maybe not even potentially. It's like everything, right? There's good and bad. Once the pulmonary specialist got involved, I don't think it was so much specialist singular. We're talking about essentially what they call the infectious disease unit. They're based out of Rochester, Minnesota, which was you know, where Mayo Clinic started. And they're calling the shots. The doctors that she was seeing face-to-face really aren't calling the shots anymore. They're liaisons. You know, good, bad, or otherwise, that's, that was the name of the game. And they pulled her off the uh, antibiotics uh, and kept the antivirals. And they wanted to go finish this 
protocol, if you will. And I kind of almost imagined in my head, uh, right or wrong, that I don't know if you guys watch football very much, but a lot of times quarterbacks or offensive coordinators, even defensive coordinators, you know, look on the quarterbacks, a lot of times they'll have on their wrist, they flip open like a, a card or a, a sheet and it's color coded and, you know, it's a big chart. Same with the offensive coordinator. Like in football, they have all these situations, you know, first down, whatever uh, line they're on, you know, so first down, we're on R30 and we just ran two running plays. These are the choices. These are what we're going to use. I kind of think that's almost the way they do it, uh, at least in this situation where she's this age, this weight, you know, or BMI, these symptoms, has COVID. This is the protocol. This is what we go with. And whether that is designed strictly by Mayo uh, or it's a combination of things to cover cover themselves from liability type stuff, I, I don't know. But that's what it just felt like. Like, this is the protocol. It's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. Napa Auto Care has a solution with the Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program. The program was engineered by one of our own. Pete McNeil and Master Technician Jake Sorensen of McNeil's Auto Care in Sandy, Utah, realized that the problem of not having technicians available for hire was not going to solve itself and decided to take action and look at a different audience of individuals available for hire. A focus was put on younger individuals with the right passion, desire, and attitude to work in the automotive repair industry. Jake and Pete sought these individuals and developed a technician apprentice program to give them the training needed to become a successful technician in today's world. The Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program includes a comprehensive nine-stage curriculum that includes a variety of types of training, classroom training videos. Exclusive to the apprentice program, these videos provide an in-depth training from a successful master technician. Autotech classes, instructor-led courses offered through Napa Autotech, Autotech e-learning, web-based e-learnings designed to target specific training topics, hands-on learning. The apprentice will apply the skills gained from the classroom training videos, Autotech instructor-led training, and Autotech e-learnings in the shop with the guidance of a mentor. The apprentice program curriculum is competency-based, meaning an apprentice can move through each stage at a pace that best suits them. Most apprentices complete the program within two years. Upon a completion, apprentices will have earned ASE G1, A4, A5, and AC certifications, adding industry validation to the skills an apprentice acquires. Grow your bottom line. Having an apprentice in your shop will ultimately benefit your bottom line as they advance through the program. In most cases, as the apprentice develops their skill set producing billable hours, you will begin to see a growth in your gross profit by stage five. Keep your apprentice motivated with an apprentice toolkit. One of the largest entry barriers for individuals looking to enter the automotive repair industry is the cost of tools. Napa Auto Care has worked with our supplying partners to offer an exclusive, comprehensive tool set, including a four-drawer tool cart for all registered apprentices. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com. So, got her home, no prescriptions, short of going in and getting more of the antivirals. But she seems to be getting better. Uh, that lasted like two days, uh, finishes the antivirals. And two days later, she's not in the same boat. It's not as bad, but it's bad. 
we're on our way again uh, to the ER. She's messaging her doctor through the, uh, you know, an app. So Mayo has an app. I'm sure most medical systems have some sort of app to communicate uh, with your medical team. And as we're heading in, they kind of route us to a different clinic within the network, of course, to just stop and get get some stuff checked out first before we go into the hospital or ER. <laughs> of course, we're sitting there. We don't have to wait long, but we're sitting there. Check our oxygen. It's not bad. Oxygen level's not bad. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if we go for a walk, they're going to tank. So <laughs> then we walk around the clinic, and I'm not trying to imply that this clinic is very big where we stopped. It's it's not. But we, we kind of take a, a lap. Oxygen levels aren't too bad. Halfway through lap number two, they tank. So get her back to the room, sit her down, get her on oxygen. And then the doctor comes in rather quickly. And you just think things are going to be moving really fast because they're serious. Because that's why we're getting people in so quickly. You know, it's got some concerns on why we didn't get prescribed more steroids, why we didn't get sent home with some oxygen support, if you will. And like we talk about a lot, right? In this profession, we talk a lot about the medical profession, the medical industry. And that is the closest I've ever heard anyone in the medical profession, a doctor kind of big on another doctor, even though they're in the same network. He wasn't hypercritical, just kind of out wondering out loud, why wasn't the um, steroids continued? Why wasn't she sent home with some sort of a prescription for some oxygen support? Which, honestly, I kind of find refreshing because after a while, you have to wonder how badly are they lying to you or BSing you when they will not say anything critical uh, where there's clearly a concern, maybe a mistake even. Uh, not looking for like loading up to go after them with anything just to feel like you're not, you're being leveled with. Right. I, I, I'd rather somebody just be honest. Like this doesn't seem right. I don't know why they wouldn't have done that. At least you feel like they're shooting straight with you. So we left there with prescriptions for more steroids and oxygen support. So they're going to call into a medical equipment store, if you will, that's roughly 20 minutes away from us to order up the oxygen. You know, we get home and she calls like, you know, when could my husband come and pick this up? And this medical place is like, we have not gotten an order in. Hmm, they said they sent it right away. Well, I don't see anything. Okay. Call the clinic. Nope. We ordered it. Said right here. Talk to so-and-so. Call back. Hey, they said they said the order in. Talk to so-and-so. So-and-so doesn't work here. Okay, call back. Was there a mistake? Did it go to this store, that store? So finally, the clinic makes a direct call. And this is after hours. This isn't like, you know, a half an hour. This is hours back and forth. Finally, the clinic calls the store directly. Let's my wife know that the order is in. So she calls, same place. Same place we've been dealing with. When could we come get the oxygen? I got the order, but we don't have the oxygen anyways. You're going to have to wait a day or two. This is infuriating because we spent an entire afternoon messing around because this order didn't come through when you probably knew even if the order showed up, you didn't have it anyways. You should be asking them to send the orders elsewhere. (laughs) It's just... 
it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. It's like somebody needs their car done ASAP. It's a business owner. You got their company vehicle in there and it needs brakes. And they know that you're going to get your brakes from whatever store and they're calling the store to find out if the brakes were ordered and they're not and call the shop and the shop's like, no, I ordered them right away. It's right here. Here's the PO number. Call the parts store. Nope. We haven't seen an order yet and all that. And you need the car back. You need this vehicle back ASAP. And then you find out that, oh yeah, the order did go through, but I don't know why they're trying to get these parts from us anyways. We can't have them for a few days anyways. That is kind of how it felt. That's the absurdity of it all. So right away the next morning, now she's gone an entire day without oxygen, which I don't want to imply like she was sitting there turning blue. If she stays idle, she's typically, for the most part, she's okay. She has an oximeter keeping track of things. If she stays relaxed and not really moving around, her oxygen levels will stay in those low 90 area, which is not that great, but you know, it's not in the 70s or the 80s. Next morning, different facility, get the order through, drive down and uh, it's not oxygen tanks because I'm level with you guys here. Uh, I called a welding supply store. They had oxygen up the wazoo and, and it was medical grade. <laughs> the problem is, is they didn't have any of the regulators or equipment to get it into her, her nose, but they had all kinds of oxygen. It's just so annoying. Welding store aside, like it's not up to them, but it's not like the clinic or the hospital's like, well, if you can go buy your own tank of oxygen, we got the masks here. We got this regulator. It'll spin right on. No, it, I guess it doesn't really work that way, which again, whole nother frustration, just so frustrating. How, how complicated can we make this? What if like, what if she needed it? You know, now you're back in the ER because you can't get oxygen anywhere else. I don't know. Trapped market. Maybe. I don't know. You hate to think that way. It ends up being not an oxygen tank and it ends up being a oxygen concentrator. It's really the size of a small roll around battery charger plugs into the wall. It does have its own onboard battery that runs roughly an hour, hour and a half, pulls oxygen out of the atmosphere, concentrates it, and she can have her liter and a half to two liters a minute uh, oxygen flow to the you know, mask, if you will. It's got the two little things that go in her nose. You know, at least then she could operate. You get about a 50-foot line. Now she can kind of walk around not feel like she's just bedridden, not that she really was, but she had to keep her activity level low. And if she had to get up to use the restroom, she was going to pay. Now that was a non-issue. If anything, of course it helped physically. You're not trying to catch your breath, but more than anything, mentally. I think mentally it helped feel just better, more optimistic, if you will. Made it easier to keep a more positive frame uh, frame of mind and I'm going to get better, going to get better. We went back into the doctor uh, this time around. That was the Tuesday before vision. And uh, that's really when I called Sherry and said, this is what's going on. You know, we called it. I was going to leave for vision Wednesday, probably early, late, late morning, early afternoon. You know, my sworn enemy and competitor, Sean Tipping, you know, I was just going to have to gut it out with them. Just kidding. 
a good friend and another shop owner who's getting to know better. I've gotten a chance to hang out with Noah Alhamad. Good guy. A uh, lot of fun to hang out with. You probably got a chance to meet him. Uh, if you did, I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize. No, he's a really good guy. So yeah, we called it, went to plan B. Luckily, plan B is easy. This is kind of another sales pitch if you need one for networking and getting to know people and befriending them and trying to get people's back when you can uh, because when you need it, they've got your back. And that's so what I had. So really, really good friends picking up my slack, which they do anyways, let's be quite honest. They pick up my slack all the time. But now when I really needed help in my absence, they step up, that totally step up. So, you know, not only Sherry, Jocelyn and Heather with the vision team, uh, Milwaukee, they cover that, you know, they take care of things on that end. Scott shot and Scott Mana, they got the Pico class. They didn't need me there anyways, but didn't skip a beat. Eric Dallas went down there, helped out. And then you have the Andrew Sexton, Pedro Della Torre, Tommy Oliva. You know, Andrew was going to do the key class with me. And again, it's not like he really needs me there. Uh, he totally had that handled. But then you have a couple guys like Pedro and Tommy there to help out. That means a ton. Really, the attendees benefit too because some really, really smart guys, really, really good people. And then the um, Tech Talks, you know, Bryn Klein, he's so good. I got to see a clip of his hosting, emceeing, and he tried to convince everyone. He was Ryan Seacrest. He probably had a few convinced. I don't know. But he's so good at that. I kind of hate him. Yeah. Yeah, I hate him. He's so good at it. Natural. It's just natural. Uh, so again, having people get your back, have, having that network. And uh, I kind of posted this in a, um, a kind of a forum. You start thinking about that word network, net, net, safety net. Don't get me wrong. I was like, not just a small portion was there. I think a large portion of the network would have been more than willing to do what they could and and they and there's others I'll mention but in this case uh the guys I mentioned they just you know stepped in it was it's so freaking humbling <laughs> it's just so humbling people checking in on you checking in on the wife how she doing wanting just to be kept up to date they really really do care so i'm just saying part of the networking is yes absolutely making yourself better at your job, learning about, you know, a, a new area of auto repair or better understanding or having somebody to bounce ideas off of means a tremendous amount. And then there's the social aspect, you know, friends, friendships, a few others to mention. Paul Danner, you know, the guy is no joke. He's as good a human being as I have ever met. And that is so not kissing any tail or blowing smoke up anything. He's the real deal. Right with them is Brian Pollock. Uh, those guys, you know, I feel like I talk to both of them every day. And then uh, Matt Scundrich reaches out, uh, treated the family to dinner. 
you know, it doesn't have to do that. I did it without even thinking. Yeah. It just makes you, forces you or should force you to kind of sit back and think about stuff. Uh, luck comes to mind. A lot of luck again to meet these people and be able to befriend them. Uh, and then when you kind of need some help, that they're there, whether it was help on a car or in this case, help with uh, classes, uh, maybe a little bit of booth stuff. So in the booth, you got Justin Morgan and uh, Carlos Menchu, all they just make adjustments. Just means a ton. Yeah. So I guess bring a point to all this, not only to, you know, thank people, but also urge networking for more than just uh, immediate auto repair type of uh, situations and scenarios. The other thing is, is a lot of times we talk about the medical system, right? Well, we can learn from doctors and how not to trash on each other. And that's important. We can learn that from the medical system. We can learn it from professional wrestling. Like I've stated on uh, the uh, remarkable results radio podcast. And for the record, the thing is, is um, I think they could learn a little bit from us after this ordeal because I, I think I left with fear, just some fear of, of getting sick because I just don't know that I have that confidence anymore that things are going to work smoothly. Well, one thing is like, at least where we are at, it is difficult to go to a competitor. So like at our shop or anyone's shop for the most part, if somebody feels mistreated, even if you have their car apart, theoretically, or not theoretically, they could absolutely demand you stop, get your hands off my car, get it out of your shop right now, and they can take it to the shop down the street. And with that, there's a certain level of motivation on your part or motivation to you to not have that happen. You have to provide a certain level of service, communication, support, whatever you will, uh, quality, accuracy, efficiency. You have to provide a certain level of that or you just won't have any more customers. They'll go somewhere else. In this situation, there is no competition. I don't know what the motivation is for them to always do better. You know, I'm not sure how much I buy into pure altruism, at least not on a large scale. You know, an entire company. I mean, that's uh, that's asking a lot. Just with all the moving parts, it's somewhat unreasonable to even ask for. By something that is somewhat monopolistic, choosing to always try to do the best, be driven almost like we could lose this person. And I don't mean lose them like they die on you, meaning they're going to go across the street to the competitor. So that lack of competition, you know, of course can affect pricing. There's nothing to help drive the prices down, but I'm thinking just a pure service standpoint. What's the motivation? I struggle with that. They could learn from us that uh, how important that is. Uh, the communication, constantly working to get better, streamlining our processes, making things go as fluid as possible. Even in the midst of the COVID epidemic and afterwards, or I should say COVID pandemic, and all the supply chain issues, we're still very motivated 
uh, especially I think in the independent world to make things as fluid and smooth as possible, finding ways it almost drove some innovation. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like maybe not almost, it absolutely did. We found ways Um, and where we couldn't, we helped where we could. We explained exactly what was going on and why. And, you know, there's only so much you can, so much responsibility you can take on for something for the most part, completely out of your control. That's not what's going on, uh, at least with this medical experience. And, you know, granted, you know, she's fine. Ultimately, uh, the diagnosis was probably accurate, could have been slightly more efficient, especially with COVID have been being around for, you know, a couple of years now. Uh, but I just felt like a lot of these hiccups that we were experiencing could have really been mitigated. You know, and I don't know where the motivation comes from. I don't know what would have to happen to help urge on a competi- some sort of competition, you know, especially in a smaller town. I don't know. I wish I had the answer, but I just know that for all the talk about, hey, we should be looking at the medical uh, profession on how to be better at what we do. And there is stuff to take from them, you know, the charging for what you do, stuff like that. There's so much. I, I shouldn't even start listing stuff off. We know it. The script could really flip. Uh, there's stuff they could learn from us. And just from that also to translate it over to a, a customer visit to our shop and how frustrating this um, medical event was to take that just kind of like when I was talking about a, a restaurant, frustration with a restaurant experience, take that, bring it back to the shop, look at it, break it apart and go, how could this be one of my clients and what can I do to minimize the chances of them having a similar experience? It's cliche. Uh, I'm sorry, but it's just the reality. You can't close this thing out without saying this, that you have to cherish time. (laughs) You have to cherish time with people and loved ones, friends, colleagues, all of that, because missing out on vision that sucked. I mean, that sucks. I, I like seeing people interacting with them. Uh, people I haven't seen in a while. That's sometimes the only time I get to see them is that vision. Very much look forward to it. The other thing was, is, you know, I, I skipped over it. It really bears stating that she spent the night in the hospital. So I we went to the ER. She gets admitted. You got kids at home. I can't sit there at the hospital with her, although I was there with her all day, the snowstorm's hitting, got to get home. So I go home, keep the kid, you know, get the kids, uh, cut up to speed on what's going on without striking fear into them. Go back to the hospital the next morning and just walking into that room, looking forward to seeing her and seeing, you know, my wife and just seeing her in bed, looking so like gaunt you know, I, I think a lot of it was just being whooped, not sleeping so well. You're in a hospital, you're worried, but just, uh, man, just that heart sinking, uh, pit in your stomach, your stomach drops, your heart drops. Like maybe this is worse than I thought. And again, it could be alarmist. It could be being dramatic. I don't know. Try not to be. I had to make a very conscious with effort to flip a switch in my head to kind of no sell what was going on in my head and uh, not let her know what I was thinking or and feeling at that moment, meaning the feeling of 
dread. I uh, really didn't want her to see that. We're really, really good about appreciating things, events, people. Right about time we either think we're going to lose them or something bad's going to happen involving them. Then all of a sudden we kind of have this short honeymoon period afterwards where I guess for lack of a better word, I'm going to keep repeating it, but cherish and hold dear the time you get with them. And it would do us all well to be better about just when we can, and at least in our minds to step back and look around and think about how much this all means that whether it's sitting at a lunch table at vision with a bunch of strangers or your friends, people you haven't seen in a while, colleagues, people that you've they're essentially pen pals, but at a much more rapid rate on via social media, sitting in a class that to be able to be out sitting in a class, improving uh, knowledge, being able to walk around a show floor and see the new stuff and, and, and then just being around friends family, significant others, all of that, just to take pause, take a minute and just appreciate that it is all very, very, very finite. And it's, I don't mean that doomsday-ish. I hope you don't take it that way. I, I hope it just makes you smile a little bit and makes those moments that much better. Just that recognition of it. They're not going to be there all the time unfortunately. So yeah, I just uh, really want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, I really want to press upon you to network, network where you can uh, get out there, try to hit these events, meet people, shake hands. Uh, They usually don't bring babies, so you won't be kissing babies. And I don't know if nowadays they even want you to do that, but shake hands, rub elbows, network, Uh, be ready to get other people's back. Because uh, gosh darn it, when uh, you need people, and even if you don't need need them, uh, they're there to help. Uh, even with just pleasantries, it means a lot. Thank you, Napa Auto Care, for sponsoring. Thank you to uh, Remarkable Results Radio Podcast and the Aftermarket Radio Network, Carm, even Tracy. Tracy was very concerned with what was going on. She was constantly contacting, bantering back and forth about what was going on, showing genuine concern. Uh, Her and Carm sent a very wonderful bouquet to uh, Danielle that was very much appreciated. So, yeah, I guess I'm going to have to let Tracy into the circle. I don't know. I'll think about it. And uh, also, thank you, everyone, uh, for the kind words. It really, it does mean a lot. And uh, if you have any ideas for future episodes, want to be on uh, the podcast, please do not hesitate to reach out. I'm pretty easy to find on social media, or you can email me at mattfonslowpodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening to this on YouTube, don't forget to hit the like button and the uh, little bell to subscribe so you get alerted when another episode comes out. So until next time, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. 
Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.